0: Welcome to The City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about The City, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning, Church. How are you doing? Hope you're doing well. And it's a privilege for me to be sharing the Word with you. And this morning we're going to look at a text from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Now, if you are ready, grab your Bibles, grab your notebook, and whatever have you, uh, and just you know grab a seat, make yourselves comfortable, and just be engaging with the Word of God with me this morning. Uh, and what I have to share with you, that's not a whole lot, but what I do have, I want to share from my heart I really feel a burden a sense of burden from even this text as I was preparing for this message so I know that it's going to be a word in season for some of you Uh, I may not know your names but you know that's why I felt the Lord just drop this text so with that we're gonna just jump right in let me pray for us Father God, we are thankful that we can come together uh, and just study your word and learn together this morning from you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would tutor our hearts towards you uh, in devotion um, uh, and just affection towards uh, your heart for us and your will and your purpose in our world. And so this morning, as we look at your word, we pray that our hearts would respond to you Uh, in faith and obedience, that you would move us, our whole being, towards you and the things that matter to you. And through this text that we're looking at, we pray you speak to us as a church, and that it will be word in season for us as a whole, and also to specific ones of us in our church family, uh, as you desire. And so with that, we just commit this word time into your hands, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, open up your Bibles and look at Isaiah 61 with me. Uh, we're going to look at several of the starting verses. Um, which, So uh, let me just uh, share a little bit of the context and then we'll read the verses together. Now Isaiah 60-62, to 62, here is where you find a lot of the promises, um, the great things that God is promising the people of Israel. Through uh, the prophet, or the writings of Isaiah here, and so uh, what has been happening is even from chapters 40 onwards, God has been just giving words of comfort to them. And for a long time now, because of Assyria and Babylon, the people of Israel have been in exile for an extremely long time, and um, they're you know despondent, and uh, you know their city is in ruins. And so, with King Cyrus of Persia who conquered Babylon. Uh, he is now allowing the exiles to return to Jerusalem. And not only that, he is providing even the finances uh, for them to rebuild the temple, right? And so um, uh, that's where we read of the rebuilding of the wall uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah, right? So, so that's, uh, the context is going on and very much like um, when the people of Israel left uh, bondage of slavery, from Egypt into wilderness, into the desert, and and wandered there for 40 years. Uh, And and because of that, they went through this crisis of faith because, you know, why did you bring us out here to kill us, right? Uh, Back in Egypt, we had this, we had this, and so there were doubts about um, the land of milk and honey that God promised, and there were doubts and just struggles with believing that God is faithful to bring uh, to pass the things that God had prophesied and promised before. And so similarly, in that vein, you see this kind of a similar crisis of faith uh, that the people of Israel are are experiencing, uh, that out of exile, out of Babylon, now they are allowed to return to Jerusalem, and yet they return to these ruins, um, just this desolate place, and and return to facing opposition uh, that you read about in Nehemiah when they want to rebuild the wall, and and they face this crisis of faith, Uh, again, just questioning God, like, What's going on? Like, Where are your promises? Where's the fulfillment of your promise? And so that's where they're at. And so we see in chapter 61, Isaiah starts off with, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And we'll stop right there. Uh, We'll look at uh, a couple of other verses later. So we stop at verse 3. So we see here, who is the me in verse 1, right? Isaiah writes, or perhaps Isaiah's disciples uh, wrote this, taking inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Who is the me uh, in verse 1 uh, is, is the question to ask. Now, it's significant that it's this from this text in the scrolls of Isaiah that Jesus read from, and this is recorded in Luke 4. So if you look at Luke 4, what happens is Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, verse 16, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath and he stood up to read, which is customary. They would have people reading the scripture stand up. And so verse 17 says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes were on Jesus, right, in the synagogue. In verse 21, he says, he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's like Jesus is appropriating uh, this prophecy from Isaiah to say that, hey, today I am that fulfillment of this very prophecy. So that me, uh, figure Jesus sees himself as that me. But we also find this clue in Isaiah 42, which uh, I will show you on the side. Isaiah 42 verse 1 starts off with, Behold my servant whom... I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so you see this servant, the, the, the figure servant, and and the God is saying, I put my spirit upon him. And so Isaiah 42 talks about this. It's a servant song. It's one of a collection of songs called the Servant Songs in Isaiah. And so this this Messiah, this anointed one is called the servant of the Lord, the servant of God. And so God says, I put my spirit on him, and this is what he will do. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news. More than that, Isaiah 11 verse 2 says this. I'll read it to you. Isaiah verse 2, talking about the shoot of Jesse. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So what happens when the Spirit of the Lord is on the servant? There's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So you see, like Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus says, the Lord has appoint, anointed me to bring good news. So I am that servant, the anointed one, who is to come to bring good news to the poor. And we go on to look at the rest of verse one. What does this servant do? The servant this, on whom the Spirit of God is, uh, is Uh, is going to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, open prisons, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Interestingly, Jesus drops his reading right there and didn't finish the the rest of the text. In fact, he didn't finish verse 2. He just stops at the year of the Lord's favor. Now notice that the word proclaim is used twice, and it's both having allusion to the year of Jubilee that you see in Leviticus 25. And that hint is very clear because the word to proclaim liberty is the same, and to proclaim the year of release, the year of the Lord's favor. So you see two proclaims and they're proclaiming liberty Freedom, freedom from oppression, whether it's social, economic oppression, whatever. It's a reset, the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. And so here it's alluding that the servant of the Lord. And in this sense, when we read as New Testament, Jesus is the one who brings good news. And that's why Jesus says, today, the kingdom of God is not just near. The kingdom of God is here. And I have come to open blind eyes, to set captives free, to release those who are. Uh, bind up. And to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus has come to do. That's his mission, to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord, right? And so we see that in verse 2, and that Jesus somehow omits the day of vengeance. He sees himself as the servant who has come as a ransom for many to save sinners and those who are lost. And the day of vengeance is when he comes again as the judge. Now he comes in his first coming as servant and so he comes to proclaim this is the year of the lord's favor and we are in this year of god's favor where we proclaim the kingdom of god is here and at the same time the kingdom of god is still not yet why because then the day of judgment is to come and jesus has yet to come again and i believe that that's why jesus drops his reading there it's like a two parts you know part one is in play Part two is yet to come. And that's why Jesus didn't finish reading the day of vengeance of our God. We go on to verse 3. Are you tracking? Hope you are. Uh, track on with these verses. And uh, yeah, we're going to look at verse 3 now. To, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, what does the servant on whom the Spirit of the Lord is do? He grants these things, right? And you can notice three elaborations of what is granted to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. In some versions it says, not headdress, uh, but the word uh, almost carries like you can uh, imagine like a tiara or you know, like a, what people use for like bridal parties. So you see this headdress uh, in your imagination to give them, a, uh, to give them beauty for ashes. Right in some versions, or, to, or the the oil of joy, not gladness, but the oil of joy instead of mourning, or instead of garment of uh, uh, garment of heaviness, the servant of the Lord gives the garment of praise, of festivity, of celebration, and this is what uh, the servant of the Lord would do, would grant to those who are in mourning, and those the people of Israel were in mourning things were in ruins their cities in ruins, the walls in ruins I mean their their identity the whole thing that, the, that which uh, in which their identities bound up the land you know the temple. They're all in ruins and so they're mourning, but then Isaiah is saying that the year of the Lord's favor, here I proclaim it to you. And God wants to replace all your despair and your sadness uh, with this joy, with gladness, with a garment of praise, because that day is coming. And not only that, that day may be called Oaks of Righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. I did a little word study and I thought it was so interesting that the word for beauty and the word for ashes, there's a word played there in the original Hebrew. And that's how uh, poetic sometimes, even you know, whether it's a prophetic text or you know, poetry, in the books of poetry in the Bible, they use this. The word for beauty is pe'er, right, in Hebrew, pe'er. And the word for ashes, efer. So instead of efer, ashes, God wants to give you pe'er, beauty for ashes. So exchange your efer for pe'er. That's the word word and the sound play there. Exchange your sadness and despair for gladness of joy that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Interesting phrase. Why oaks of righteousness? So oak figure, I mean, imagine like a strong, sturdy tree, really stable, uh, strong roots, strong trunk. Uh, they're beautiful, great for shade, uh, and you can, uh, you almost imagine, wow, you marvel at a great big oak tree. But not only that, the phrase goes, oaks of righteousness. So not just a, a strong, beautiful tree, but a strong, beautiful, and righteous tree. What does that mean? Uh, it is a tree that is planted by the Lord. God plants those that are righteous. and that for what reason? That he may be glorified. That, that all glory and splendor would be unto him. And what does it mean to be oaks of righteousness? And then I delved deeper and uh, I discovered something that I thought, hey, um, I think this would be of, of great benefit to, to us as we listen. Psalm 92. Now let me turn there and read to you. Hope you're tracking. Psalm 92. Yes. Yes, no, yes, okay. verse twelve psalm ninety two verse twelve. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. So see the relation between that we those who are righteous, they will flourish, right? grow like these strong trees, cedar trees in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. So righteous will flourish, planted of the Lord in God's house, right? And Psalm 52 goes on to say more of this. I want to show you something. I'm not the only one that's excited. Psalm 52, uh, verse 6 to 8. Okay. Interesting, okay? Check with me. Psalm 52, verse 6 starts with this, The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Verse 8, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. See the contrast. The man who would not make God his refuge but instead trust in his riches uh, contrasted with the man who is like a green olive tree in the house of God who trusted in the steadfast love of God, right? That's Psalm 52. And you see this connection with um, righteousness and trusting God. Do you see that connection? Those who are righteous are those who would flourish because they trust in God. So Proverbs 11 verse 28 tells us, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever, let me read that again, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Again, this connection with trusting in riches versus trusting uh, in God, then you'd be righteous and you would flourish, right? Like these trees, like this leaf. So, you know, many of us are familiar with Psalm 1 Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? You know, he's the one that is planted by the streams of the water. His leaf does not wither. You know, everything he does prospers. You know, he's, he's just fruitful, fruitful tree, strong tree, Psalm 1. So, and then I found this, another last example. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think this is a great reminder and a call to us to remember in this season, church, that we put our trust in the Lord, right? Not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, not in uh, any form of world uh, stability, whether it's economically, politically, but to trust in the Lord and to make, make the Lord our trust, whose trust is the Lord, not just trust in the Lord, but trust is the Lord. Verse 8, he is like a tree planted by water. And I love this part that really gives a picture. He is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Think of how Abraham, because he trusted in God, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Our righteousness does not come from any of our any form of our ability, but simply in placing our trust in God. That is essentially what it means to be righteous before God. When we put our trust in Jesus, we're saying, My righteousness is wrought by Jesus' work on the cross. My righteousness is not my own, but through the righteousness that Jesus has uh, given and has merited to me by grace, uh, through faith, therefore I am righteous before God. And as we trust, what we're doing is we are exchanging our sadness for joy and strength and purpose and meaning in our lives, we're exchanging our despair, we're exchanging beauty for our ashes because those are of the old and the new has come and so behold the new creation right we are all new creation we exchange sadness for the joy of the Lord the hope that we have in God and the greatest thing is that as God does that he would be glorified all glory and all splendor ultimately is God's and verse 4 reminds us this They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." Now, as I was preparing this, I just really felt um, a sense of God is calling and rallying us to be a people who are like these oaks of righteousness, standing tall in these chaotic times. Now, I don't know about you, but times have really been chaotic, right? Not just in Singapore, but globally, everywhere, what we've been experiencing. I mean, I think this just darkness is just increasing. Lawlessness is increasing. Chaos, mess, um, just, you know, evil and, and just so much unpredictability. As much as there is also a lot of things that we are able to see and be grateful for, we recognize that the times are evil, right? And the days are evil. And that's why, even in Sikh First, we're calling, we're saying, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, we say seek first the kingdom of God and this verse in in verse 4 Isaiah 61, 4 says they shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations I truly believe that even as God calls us to put our trust in Him, to you know fix our gaze on Him, to really learn in whatever situation the ultimate trust that we have is placed in God that He is the source of all joy, He is that which we can rely on. It is his promises we can stand on. Nothing else. And it's his peace that we need for our anxieties, that we can exchange it, you know, for his joy, his peace that is out of this world. It's only then that we can be truly these oaks of righteousness that are a prophetic voice in the wilderness that that you know give give renewal and and our instruments that God can use to rebuild, restore, uh, and truly make His kingdom manifest wherever we are in society. Isn't that right? And we believe that even as we trust in God, even when circumstances are against, you know, are daunting, are against the odds, we say, yes, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We say, yes, we are going to be a people that are marked by a resolute faith in our God, our Savior, our Messiah, the one who comes to proclaim the year of favor, the one that has come to take us out of darkness into light, who releases all of us from oppression so that we can liberate, be liberated to liberate others. That's what we're about. And what voice do we have? We have this voice because God has called us to be oaks of righteousness right where we are. So as you're listening to this, whether it is, you know, in your, homes, in your households, in your neighborhoods, in your area of work, wherever your spheres of influence is, with your community, with your extended family. I know that there are parts that you can think of right now that are just in ruins. The conditions are not great and you look at it and it's just, you either feel despair or a sense of hopelessness or helplessness. Like what can I do? Um, it's too daunting. There's just the need is too great or it's impossible. I don't see light in this situation. And I want to say to you, God has raised you to experience the year of His favor right there. And God is saying to us this morning, I want to give you beauty for ashes, and I have called you to rebuild. And just wherever you are, whether you are seated or you're standing, I want to invite you just to respond to God. You can raise your hand or, you know, whatever it is that helps you focus your thoughts on God right now, even as I continue. just invite you to respond uh, before we uh, have this time of worship with Tim. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Mm-hmm. And the verse says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, even in a season where there are things that God is calling us to rebuild, God is inviting us to once again set our trust, fix our gaze on Him. So my question to you today is, what area right now, just that one area, what area in your life is God highlighting that He is calling you to rebuild to repair, to be a voice that brings healing, restoration, to make a difference. What area is God surfacing right now in your heart? And as you identify that area, I invite you to just say in your own words to God, what is it on your heart about this area? and remain in this posture of worship throughout, even the song as Tim leads us. And make that your heart posture and your prayer to him as you worship.